Hello everyone, I'm Harrison. And I'm Rachel. This week we're answering some questions from our Instagram page, so stay tuned and join us on our journey to raise, raise baby H. Okay, so this week we decided to ask you all for some questions on Instagram. We try to do these around halfway mark, so we did one in the middle of pregnancy the end of pregnancy, and now that Edison is six months old, we thought it would be a good time to do another one. So if you're ever wanting to ask us questions for the next one, make sure you give us a follow on Instagram. Our page is Meeting Baby H. These questions are anything related to pregnancy, postpartum, or parenting. And if you have a question, don't feel like you need to wait for us to have a Q&A. Just send your question in. We love hearing from you and hope that we can help you in your parenting journey. These questions are not in any particular order, so if you want to see what questions we were answering today, take a look at the description of the episode. Let's jump right in. So the first question is, has the number of children that you want changed now that you have one? And so I think we should start with how many kids we thought we wanted when we got married. So for me, it was always either two or four. For me, I really have always lived at two. There probably was a time in my life where I thought I wanted four, but as I've gotten older, I think I've just have stuck to two. And for some reason, that's just the ideal number of kids to have. I think the way I explained it to Harrison is that we would have two and then three would be like if we have an accident, we would have three. But if you have three, you might as well have four because it's just going to make it a nice round number. Everyone has someone to play with at all times. Yeah, this nice round number thing I just think is absolutely absurd. Rachel actually wanted us to wait a whole year to get married so that our anniversary would not be on an odd-numbered year. And, like, that is just insane. So, obviously, we did not do that. And, you know, hopefully we don't have three kids and we'll just stick with two. So, now that we have one, I think I actually want more kids and it wasn't like that at first like immediately after edison was born for like the first three months i couldn't fathom how anyone could have more than one child but time does heal and so now the baby fever is definitely coming back and i think i want more kids than two there definitely were quite a few times after edison was born that rachel was still recovering and was just like I don't think I could do this again. I don't think I could walk into it knowing that it could be this way. And that definitely had a huge impact right on. But as we've continued and we've gotten to go through some of the milestones with Edison, Rachel is constantly talking about when we're going to have the second, when we're going to have the third. And I am still sticking hard to two. I think that the biggest thing that would make me change my mind is that In my head, I just imagine us having one boy and one girl. And so if that's not the scenario, I do think it would be fun to have a little girl. But I still think two is a better number. So hopefully our next one can be a girl. Um, Another question that we have is, what did you do to help your baby sleep? Mine is seven weeks and waking every two hours. And I feel like I'm going crazy. And let me just say, we have been there. We totally understand the sleep deprivation is real. And so taking it just moment by moment is really all you can do right now. I think that we really struggled with sleep early on, and it's just something that we kind of ignored. It was not a big deal to us, except for the fact that it was just exhausting all the time. 
I was very fortunate to have 16 weeks off for my paternity leave. And so it kind of allowed us to delay this whole sleeping thing. And I have a hard time sleeping overnight anyway. So it made it easier for me to take care of Edison during the night, but it definitely made that morning shift really, really rough. So for about the first four months, we pretty much did co-sleeping. Edison did not like to sleep anywhere but our bed. And so we just kind of suffered through that. And then when he was about four months old, we did the taking care of babies course. We really didn't want to do co-sleeping. So we had a bassinet, which was really just a pack and play with a bassinet attachment. And we just weren't trying to have him sleep with us. We moved him to his crib really early. And so that was kind of the plan. But what happened every single night is we'd start Edison wherever he was actually supposed to sleep. And then he would cry. We'd get up, we'd feed him. And then he'd probably do it one more time before we're just like, you know what, this isn't dumb. I'm just going to put him in the bed with me or I would feed him on the couch and I would just sleep with him on the couch. After we did the taking care of babies course, he is now sleeping 10 to 12 hours every night. And so some of the biggest tips that we learned from that is to keep your baby awake for the full wake window for their age. And if you just type in on Google wake windows for a three-month-old. Like, you can find an article that's free that will tell you how long your baby should be awake at that age. These numbers are kind of guidelines, and if you really pay attention to your baby's behavior, they probably are telling you that their wake windows are over anyway. So when you read that it's like half an hour or an hour, you know, it probably makes sense based on your baby's schedule. And what is very different for babies versus humans is more time awake does not mean more sleep for them. We tried that. We tried to just keep Edison up for a very long time, and it basically made it so that he was so tired, he couldn't figure out how to fall asleep. And then you're just in this like never-ending cycle of he will not go to bed. So stick to those wake windows and then get your kid down for a nap. They'll take their nap, and then you can just restart the cycle over, and that should help with overnight sleep. If you're looking for something to do with your baby while they're awake, you can use the five F's guidelines, and that is feeding face-to-face, -face, which is you directly interacting with your baby, floor play, which is your baby playing on the floor with you, free play, which is your baby playing on the floor by themselves, and then fresh air. So just trying to get outside if you can. Another tip that is really helpful is to have a consistent bedtime routine. And so this routine should be done where your kid is going to sleep, you know, within reason, right? If a bath is part of your bedtime routine, you obviously cannot do that in the nursery. But do it inside of the room that your kid is going to sleep so that they understand, like, I do this in this location, and this is where I sleep, and then when I'm out in the living room or whatever, that's where I play. And you want to make sure that you keep the routine the same every night, do the same order in the same place. That way your baby's body starts to know Okay, this means that I need to wind down for the night. It's almost time for bed. And if you're having trouble with your baby getting upset whenever you take them into the nursery, then try to include some playtime in the nursery during the day. For us, we kind of play with Edison while we're getting him ready for bed. And that kind of just helps him burn off that last little bit of energy and basically calm down. And so we get him in pajamas. He has a bottle. Then we read books and then he goes to bed. Your bedtime routine needs to be consistent, but that does not mean you need to read like the exact same books every single night. You can mix it up within reason, but it should be the general structure similar. 
And the last thing that really helped us was to wean from night feedings or night waking. So if you need to soothe your baby, make sure that that happens in the nursery, that they're staying in there. And so they're not getting used to, oh, I cry and I get to go to my mom and dad's room. Same with night feedings. If you can like slowly change the amount that you're feeding them each night until they no longer need to eat at night. We slowly weaned Edison off of bottles in the night, and it took us probably a week before he had no food at night at all. And after that, he's never wanted a bottle in the middle of the night. Another thing that's kind of along the lines of sleep is contact naps. Someone asked if we have any tips for putting your baby down if they're always taking a nap on you. And I will say that now that Edison is not taking naps on us, There is a little bit of that contact napping that I miss. Like it was really cute when he'd fall asleep on my chest or just while I was walking around. And even though in the moment it was a little bit frustrating that you couldn't do anything else. Now that that's not happening, I do kind of miss it a little bit. But at the same time, you got to get stuff done when your baby is asleep. So the biggest piece of advice that we have heard is anything that your baby needs to fall asleep, they will need to stay asleep. So if you use a sound machine, a pacifier. If they use you to fall asleep, they're going to need you to stay asleep. A big thing for us that we kind of forgot in this, if they need it to fall asleep, they need it to stay asleep, is rocking. It was really easy to sit Edison in a rocking chair and rock with him until he falls asleep. But once you'd put him in the bed, he would kind of just wake up because he's not moving anymore. So basically what we started doing is once Edison was a little bit older, we were able to lay him down when he was tired, not when he was asleep. That way he could get used to soothing himself to sleep in the crib. And I know it's hard, but I think a lot of how your baby responds to things, not just sleep, is really dependent on what you expose them to early on. So Edison drinks breast milk or formula at any temperature because we just exposed him to that. He would get bottles right out of the fridge. He would get them room temperature. And so we've never had to worry about bringing a bottle warmer with us because of that. If you can get your baby used to laying down and falling asleep on their own without you, that really is the best way to achieve this. But If you're already in a situation where your baby is only going to fall asleep on you, you basically need to figure out how to break this connection. So try to figure out when is best to lay your baby down. So if they're still young enough that they won't soothe themselves to sleep, you need to figure out how long do you actually hold them before you lay them down and they wake up. And I think most people will recommend that you lay your baby down in like the first eight minutes that they've fallen asleep. And that's going to help them stay asleep once you've laid them down. Now, if your baby wakes up after you've done this, you can still soothe them. You just need to make sure you do it without picking up your baby. So whether that's standing there, maybe like touching them somehow and just telling them that you're still there and that everything is going to be okay. And then eventually you'll be able to move away from the idea of like needing to like rub their head or something like that to keep them asleep. And they'll just kind of start to figure it out on their own. So we have a question for the dad's perspective. So Harrison. What advice do you have for dads to be supportive during pregnancy, labor, and postpartum? I think the most supportive thing that you really can do or that I was able to do for Rachel was just to be there. 
I was able to make it to every single one of Rachel's appointments. And I think that that was really helpful for Rachel, but that also was really helpful for me to understand what was going on and just be involved in the entire process. And then following all of the appointments, I was able to, you know, go through and be like, oh, these are questions that I would have if I was going through these. So I'm going to try to learn a little bit more about them so that if Rachel has questions, I might be able to help answer them or just help ease some of the worrying. And that's kind of like the pregnancy side of it is just be there and be supportive as possible. But during labor, it's it's very difficult to do much for your partner because they've got to go through all this stuff that you don't really know anything about. You can't really stand there and say like, oh yeah, I understand because you don't. So the best thing you can do in the hospital is advocate for your partner because they are dealing with a lot of pain and a lot of things that are going on. So they may not be able to step in and say like, hey, I wanted it to go this way and need somebody to kind of push things that direction. But that's kind of what you're there for is to be supportive, help advocate for her. And those are conversations that you need to have before you get to the hospital. Like make sure you're asking your wife what her preferences are for labor. Talk about the birth plan or the birth preferences that way you know going into it things that she wants and things that she doesn't want. When you're in that labor room, it can be very nerve-wracking to just think about all these things that are about to happen. You probably have never done this before, so you're trying to figure out all of these things at the same time that she is. And so you just kind of have to lay those worries aside and just go for it. If your partner asks you to do something, you just kind of need to figure it out. Even if it's as stupid as like, hey, can you adjust the lights? You know, like that is something that really can make it more enjoyable for her. So like do it and figure out how that works. And so there's like a lot of those little things that I think will add up during labor and delivery. I think one of the funniest things that I kind of put Harrison in charge of during labor was calling the nurse <laughs> for whatever reason. I just did not want to hit that call the nurse button. And so because I had like a little intercom feature. So he would press the button and have to say like, hey, my wife needs somebody in here. And I never had to worry about that. Rachel and I are very similar. So when there's things that she doesn't want to do, usually I don't want to do them either. So like, I really didn't want to call the nurse. It's just, it's just one of those things you'd be like, oh, I don't want to inconvenience this person. But at the exact same time, that person is there for you. So you just kind of need to get over it and move on. During postpartum, a lot of that same logic follows. You probably don't want to do it, but you also don't really want your partner to have to do it on top of all of this other stuff that's going on. So the biggest thing postpartum is that you need to pick up the tasks that your partner is just not able to do. No matter how easy or how simple they may seem, they will go a long way to help your partner out. So Rachel was doing all of this pumping, but also she's trying to take care of all of the postpartum stuff like her stitches and just is not really feeling well. And so if I can take the time to load the dishwasher or clean the bottles or just get Rachel some more water or Edison is crying, so I'm going to soothe him instead of Rachel. Like those little things that don't really feel like they're a lot will really add up in the end to help your partner out and just not feel so overwhelmed. I will say from my perspective, the biggest thing that dads can do is just advocate. Like Harrison said, all around, like pregnancy is very taxing physically and emotionally. So if your wife is having a moment, 
you need to step in, whether that's like friends and family are really annoying. Like you need to kind of speak up and say, hey, like, let's take a break. Or with doctors, you know, if there's something that if there's something that, you know, your wife has a preference on, then you want to make sure that you're speaking up about those things, especially if she's in a position where she can't. On top of that, I would also say that you should be as knowledgeable as possible on this process because your partner is going to be going through all of this stuff that's like a lot of physical and a lot of emotional challenges that you've never faced before. And while you as the dad, you are also going to be dealing with a lot of those emotions, the most helpful thing that you can do in a scenario where your partner is feeling very overwhelmed and just concerned about everything is at least know how can I calm her down or maybe ease some of this worrying and just know that she doesn't have to worry about what is the next step, how do I do this, and you can kind of take some of that work on. So another question we have kind of along the lines of postpartum was, did you wait six weeks to have sex? And yes, (laughs) yes, plus. (laughs) We waited almost 12 weeks and there were a couple of reasons for that. The first was that I got an infection, so that kind of set my healing back by a few weeks just in general. And then because of the infection, it kind of caused some of my stitches to come out, and so they weren't holding everything together, and there was something about that that they can't redo those stitches once you have them. If they come out, it's not really an option, so my body just had to recover naturally from there on. And so it's amazing that our bodies can do that, but it did take a lot longer than I was expecting it to. And then the last thing was that I had two different types of tears. So I had a perennial tear and a labial tear and labial tears just take longer to heal in general. I think that while you're in pregnancy, this is a lot of concern for a lot of people is how long does this postpartum phase take before you kind of like feel back to normal. And really, it was something that was very taxing on Rachel. Every single day, Rachel was concerned about her tears, how everything was healing, and just how long is it going to take? And I think part of that is that Rachel needed to go back to work a lot sooner than she was really planning to. So she needed that process to kind of go quicker and just feel back to normal. But there's so much other stuff in your life. Nothing is really going to be exactly the same. Yeah, so there were many nights that I cried because my doctor just kept pushing the timeline back. Like it felt like every time I went in, she was like, yeah, it's probably going to be another two weeks. And that was pretty upsetting for me because you just went through like this incredible thing and you never feel so like emotionally connected to your partner that you just want to like express that physically. But at the same time, like take the time that you need to recover. The last question that we have is, does your first birth make you scared for baby number two? So yes and no. Earlier on, for sure, like when I was still in the early stages of recovery and we weren't sleeping, everything was just very overwhelming. I think we were both like, no way are we having any more than one kid like Edison is it, we're done. (laughs) But as time goes on, things get better and you definitely feel ready again. At least I do. 
I don't really think that the first birth scared me about the possibility of having others. And I don't have to go through quite all of the physical stuff that Rachel had to go through. So that's a very different topic. But for me, I think that the biggest thing that was concerning about like baby number one versus baby number two is that you kind of think through all this stuff you're trying to figure out with a baby. And you just think through in your mind, like if I had a second one, all of this would be totally different, especially if that second one is like a toddler. Like whatever I do this time, I'm not going to get the opportunity to do it again. And so I think that when you're sitting there before you've had any kids and you're trying to figure out how many would I have, it's really easy to go, yeah, the first baby it's pretty much the exact same as the second, but once you have something to actually compare it to, some experience to say, this is how I raised my child, and then you think about the idea of throwing in a second one, you realize how different it is, and Rachel and I have had lots of conversations about how baby number two is never going to get the amount of time one-on-one -on -one that we were able to spend with Edison, because it's just not possible. Edison also will need to be taken care of as well. I think that is kind of what makes me concerned about the possibility of more children. But I do think it's reassuring to hear, for the most part, that labor gets easier the more that you do it. So I've seen a lot of people say that like it's night and day from first birth to second birth. It's faster. You're less likely to tear. You just know what to expect. And same thing with parenting. Like the next time you have a newborn, you know exactly what to do going into it. And so I think there's like a confidence with that that makes it feel a little bit easier, even though you now have a toddler and a newborn. As crazy as it is, I do think that roller coasters are a fine way to compare this. The first time you ever get on a roller coaster, you're probably a little bit concerned. You don't know how it's going to go. You have no clue whether you're going to like it. And there's a lot of unknowns. And then you get on that roller coaster and hopefully you really had a good time on it. And even though you may get on another one that's not the exact same, because you've already done it before, you know that there's a much better chance that things are going to turn out okay and you can be better prepared. And I really think that's the way that this is going to go. That if we end up having another child, we're going to feel so much more prepared for everything from pregnancy to labor, delivery, and everything that comes after. And just know that even though we won't be able to do it the exact same as we did before, we have all of this experience now, which is hopefully going to make it better as we go forward. Thank you again for those of you that asked us some questions on Instagram. If you want to stay connected with us on social media, our Instagram page is meetingbabyh. We'd love for you to send us a message to introduce yourself or just say hi. Thanks for joining us. See you next time. Bye.